1: We have a terrific show for you today, including visits with Mark Shulman. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. And we'll visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author now of several murder mysteries. His latest, called No Problem. It is December the 5th, and on this day in 1945, five U.S. Navy Avenger torpedo bombers comprising Flight 19 took off from Fort Lauderdale Naval Station in Florida. On a routine three-hour training mission, after having completed their objective, Flight 19 was scheduled to take them due east for an additional 67 miles and then turn north for 73 miles and then back to the air station after that, totaling a distance of 120 miles. They never returned. Two hours after the flight began, the leader of the squadron, who had been flying in the area for more than six months, reported that his compass and backup compass had failed and that his position was unknown. The other planes experienced similar instrument malfunctions, Radio uh, facilities on land were contacted to find the location of the lost squadron, but none were successful. After two more hours of confused messaging from the flyers, a distorted radio transmission from the squadron leader was heard at 6.20 p.m., apparently calling for his men to prepare to ditch their aircraft simultaneously because of lack of fuel. By this time, several land radar stations finally determined the Flight 19 was somewhere north of the Bahamas and east of Florida coast at 7.27 p.m. A search and rescue uh, mission uh, took off with 13 men and crew. Three minutes later, the Mariner aircraft radioed that its home base, that its mission was underway. The Mariner was never heard from again. Later, a a report was that a tanker cruising off the coast of Florida saw a visible explosion seen at 7.50 p.m. The disappearance of the 14 men of Flight 19 and the 13 men of the Mariner led to one of the largest air and sea searches to that date, and hundreds of ships and aircraft combined combed thousands of square miles of the Atlantic Ocean, the Gulf of Mexico, and remote locations within the interior of Florida. No trace of bodies or aircraft was ever found. Although naval officials maintained that the remains of the six aircraft and 27 men were not found because of stormy weather destroyed the evidence, the uh, story of the lost squadron helped to cement the legend of the Bermuda Triangle, an area of the um, Atlantic Ocean where ships and aircraft are said to disappear without a trace. The Bermuda Triangle is said to stretch from the southern U.S. coast across to Bermuda and down to the Atlantic coast to Cuba and Santo Domingo. 1945, 27 men, two aircraft, several aircraft disappeared. Bumira Triangle. Well, Port Bridge Capital, a company that invests in Republican values and bears the stock ticker name of MAGA, I've never heard of it before, but this is such an interesting story, MAGA, that's the ticker uh, signal, has uh, been outperforming environmental, social, and governance funds, ESG funds, endorsed by the Biden administration, By a healthy margin. According to Bloomberg News, MAGA has produced gains at a rate of 15% higher than ESG funds and 13% more than the ESG funds invested in the S&P 500 this year. The same ESG funds that Biden White House would prefer to headline America's 401k investments... The ESG is not based on investment principles. How Lambert, the MAGA fund founder, told the Daily Mail, Democrats are pushing to change the culture of a corporate America that will ultimately hurt investors. He's so right about this. Also, Lambert blasted ESGs as the Union United Nations-backed movement to uh, embed social values, socialist values in America's corporations. The MAGA fund holds approximately $1.5 billion in assets. He attributes most of the success to avoiding the woke nonsense and focusing on ideas with long-term growth potential. Back in 2015, the Texas-based Lambert helped raise money for a number of prominent Republican lawmakers, including Ted Cruz and former Governor Rick Perry. Two years later, Lambert formed a list of 150 companies in the S&P 500 whose political action committees and employees had given the most to Republican candidates. From there, the offshoot MAGA fund continued to grow in size while investing in blue-chip companies such as J.M. Smucker, Northern Grumman, uh, Lockheed Martin, Huntington Ingalls Industries, and Allstate and Global Life. Lambert acknowledges that the emergence of a woke woke fatigue in the corporate world, he recently shared this, uh, that a chief finance officer from a major company told him that woke perspective has been steadily eating away at profits, as uh, President Donald Trump said, uh, anything woke turns to crap, to uh, paraphrase. CEOs and CFOs completely hate this. I found a friend who's a CFO, and he told me that he lost so much time dealing with the woke nonsense, it's effectively hurting his focus on growing earnings and revenue. MAGA has also sizable investments in ConocoPhillips, Alaska's largest oil producer, that has seen its stock rise more than 71 percent this year amid spiking oil and gas prices. The uh, end goal for ESG movement is to cut off a of corporate funding to Republican candidates, said Lambert. Let me repeat that. The end goal of ESG movement is to cut off corporate funding to Republican candidates. A company will adopt the ESG guidelines, and then someone will say, how can we give to these GOP candidates if, they don't, if they're against our new principles because they stand with oil and gas? According to an analysis from Investment Metrics, 78% of global funds focusing on principles of ESG fell more than 15% below their benchmarks. In the first six months of 2022. So, this is, I, I just wanted to cover this story. It's so important because if you have money in a 401k or in investments, you see this thing showing up ESG. It's okay to invest in a fund that's committed to GSD, uh, ESG, but certainly don't invest all of your funds in ESG products because it will damper, dampen the investment return. And uh, that's not something you want and uh, by the way who who decides what these principles are and how much is good it's all subjective in my opinion it has nothing to do nice thing about uh, profitability is it's easy to determine or the lack thereof esg is not our friend <clears throat> florida surgeon general joseph lapado said MNRA COVID-19 vaccines are far less safe than other vaccines based on an autopsy-based clinical research in a cardiology study. According to the study, recently, unusual cases of epimyocarditis after fa- vaccination with the mRNA-based uh, anti-SARS COVID-V2 vaccines have been, has been documented. These were clinically observed and diagnosed by laboratory and cardiac magnetic resonance imaging, predominantly males under age 30. Of age 30. Uh, available short-term follow-up data su- suggests resolution of symptoms. However, some individuals required intensive care support or even died from acute heart failure. These deaths aren't captured by other studies because the patients never made it to the hospital mRNA COVID-19 vaccines are far less safe than the vaccines widely used. That other uh, vaccines widely used said Lapato. Uh, when does sanity return to science? Why do scientists breathlessly defend this technology? Lapato thanked MD and research uh, clinical researcher Tracy Hoag. For highlighting the results, autopsies found that 5 out of 35 people who died suddenly with 20 days of COVID-19 vaccination had myocarditis as a likely or possible cause of death. In October, Lapato announced a new mRNA COVID-19 vaccine guidance announcing, advising that males ages 18 to 39 old, years old from taking the vaccines due to reported 84% increase in the relative incidence of heart-related deaths. Unbelievable. Lapado also warned about the risks of vaccinating healthy children with no underlying conditions. The Surgeon General questioned the CDC on Twitter, a preprint from Thailand, found that 3.5% of adolescent boys had overt or subclinical myocarditis after getting the second dose of COVID-19 vaccine. Is uh, the CDC doing similar prospective studies in the U.S.? Is anyone, he asked. Rhetorical question because, of course, the answer is no. Uh, so fortunate to have uh, Dr. Lapado as our Surgeon General. Well, uh, the big story, of course, for the weekend is Elon Musk's Twitter released internal uh, discussions about sensing the Hunter Biden laptop last Friday via uh, journalist Matt Tabby, or Tabby, I think it's Tabby. Uh, the documents revealed. Which, by the way, he's got uh, received a lot of uh, vitriol from other members of the mainstream media. They say that he's turned, that Matt Tabby has turned his good career into a disgrace by uh, toting to the uh, richest man in the world. Another story, but so interesting. Documents reveal widespread internal and an external concern at the sup- suppression of the story, a decision spearheaded by Vijaya Ghadi, then the head of the Trust and Safety Twitter's top censor, The documents, mostly internal communications from Twitter and emails with external parties, showed widespread unease with the decision and concerns about how it could explain to lawmakers and the public several key points from the thread so far. The decision to censor Hunter Biden laptop story was made without the knowledge of the CEO, Jack Dorsey. Uh, Trust and safety via via, via Vijaya Gaddy long believed to be the driving force of censorship at the company, spearheaded the decision. Numerous top Twitter employees, especially from the communications and policy teams, whose job it is to maintain relations with lawmakers and the press, expressed concern about the decision. Immediate warnings from uh, Twitter's Washington, D.C. contacts followed, including an email from a Democrat, Representative Ro Khanna, uh, who warned that the decision had generated huge backlash on Capitol Hill and expressed... Concerns about Twitter undermining the freedom to publish. Aside from Ro Khanna's communications, which included uh, a future in which the newspapers would be unable to publish lacked evidence of war crimes, other Democrats reportedly complained that Twitter had not gone far enough in its censorship of the uh, press. is the only Democrat official I could find in the files who expressed concern, said Tabby. It's just an unbelievable story, and it goes on and on and on. We're going to be able to report on this because right now uh, <clears throat> uh, Tesla's uh, chief has uh, decided to, to uh, roll this out slowly, uh, so we'll be getting a lot more information about this, but the bottom line is that uh, uh Twitter employees were blocking for and running interference for the Hunter Biden story and greatly affected the outcome of the 2020 election. And they're still doing it. It's just unbelievable. In fact, uh, right now, the uh, governor of newly elected governor, so to speak, of Arizona was u- using the same tools and working with Twitter in order to protect her interest in the uh, campaign. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Forty-five,
0: forty-one. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, steel McNally has been extended until december 11th and you can still get tickets you can go to the website golfshoreplayhouse.org coming up going to be visiting with jim McTagg. right now we have with us mark Schulman. mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website it's called historycentral.com good for kids of all ages including you and i mark thank you so much for joining us here on the show
2: always a pleasure bob
1: Thank you mark Let's talk about what's going on around in the globe and it looks like Iran is beginning to uh well uh loosen up a little bit
2: well they're trying to I think this is one of those cases where it's a little bit you know n- not enough too late let's put it that way yeah too little too late as this day saying goes you know they're they're trying to respond, but it looks like they're they're losing control of the situation and the the demonstrators now are not not demonstrating about the hijab only they're demonstrating they want the ayatollahs gone they're demonstrating for regime change and you know it's you know we keep on discussing this over many many months and my my odds keep on growing slightly every week it goes by every week that the government does not manage to put down the demonstrations and does not manage to stop them it's another week where it's closer and closer to the possibility there might actually be a a change in, in Iran. I mean, don't that wouldn't count, you know, let's not count on chickens yet, but it's a real, real possibility.
1: No, I agree. And and uh, the thing that makes it the optics of attacking women, I think you're just uh, so egregious around the world, I just can't imagine any kind of support at all for what's going on in Iran for with uh, the things that they're doing to people. And, uh, uh, and, and No, they,
2: but women are targets. Look at the Taliban. And, you know, they came back to power, and what did they do, of course? They immediately... Um, immediately started uh, persecuting the women. Look, there's something that I've never quite understood, and it's across all religions. Fundamentalists in almost every single religion have a problem with women. Yeah, And it's a very, you know, it's strange. I mean, fundamentalist Muslims, fundamentalists in, in Judaism, and even in some sects of Christianity. I mean, it's a really, uh, a really interesting thing that uh, the idea that women are equal does not really... Ring well with the fundamentalists in any of these religions.
1: You know, though, Mark, I do wonder if, uh, for example, the women began to revolt in Afghanistan, if it would have they would have similar results.
2: They are, they have been, but they just they beat them up. Hmm. It's really very simple, and, and also, you see, after to say something also about the the, the, the Afghani society itself is itself much more um, male centric, and all those things you want to talk about. Yeah. And Iranian society isn't as much. You know, the Iranians had this modern era, and the Iranian women have been educated. They've not stopped them from being educated. Yeah. How, so,
1: it's been it's been how many years since the Shah of Iran was overthrown? And...
2: 78, 79, so we're talking about uh, uh, 40 yes. years, 45 years, 47 years, something like that.
1: Do you think there's still years, a cultural years. memory of though of the freedom of okay, had? Okay, there's
2: there's some cultural memory obviously amongst the older people, let's put it that way.
1: Yeah.
2: Um the stories are told, you know, from family you know, are told down. But you also again, you know, they there is also, like I said, women in Iran are not persecuted to the extent let's say of the Taliban. They are allowed to go to universities. Mm-hmm. Uh so they're educated. So that of course has a major impact. Um but there is, you know, people learned their history. They, they knew what it was like, and you know, it's such a strange thing that happened when you think about it historically. Right? What what happened? There was there were huge demonstrations against the Shah of Iran because he was using his secret service to uh, to maintain power to some extent, to um, to to kill some of the demonstrators and everything else. And here comes Ayatollah Khomeini, who. Wasn't the democratically, in other words, he wasn't a democrat. The people in Iran really wanted to get rid of the Shah and bring about some sort of democracy. Right, and instead they got a theocracy. Um, so it's uh, a strange turn of history that uh, maybe at some point the Iranian people are ready to say enough. and They seem to be.
1: Well, you know, Mark, it, yeah. that's an important lesson I think in history is that every well, sometimes when you decide to get rid of something, nature abhors a vacuum and it sometimes gets filled by something even worse, you jumping from the uh, fire, frying pan to the fire. Oh,
2: absolutely. And you know, the laws of unintended consequences, you know, you think you're doing one thing and the result is something else altogether and that happens more than once and yeah. it's, it's a real problem in terms of international affairs. It's one of the things that, you know, we don't... The impossibility of projecting what's going to happen next year or the year after, I mean, so many things have happened that have been a complete surprise.
1: Absolutely. That way. Well, I'm I'm really pulling for the for the women and the people of Iran. I hope that they're able to overthrow the uh, the theocracy.
2: Yep, I think we all are. No question about that.
1: Hey, so let's let's move to Syria. What's going on in Syria? Well,
2: Syria's an interesting thing that's going on right now. The Russians are pulling out. Um, as a matter of fact, there are rumors that the the Russians asked a, a favor of the Israelis not to. To allow them to remove their anti-aircraft and other weapons, uh, to ship them, I guess, to to Ukraine without without you know stopping them. Of course, Israel's happy to see them leave Syria, uh, but the Assad regime, don't forget, won its won its uh, civil war only because of the Russians. Mm-hmm. And now with the Russians pulling out, there's a we talked about a vacuum. There's a bit of a vacuum, and we're starting to see the rebels in Syria um, take the offensive a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so we could, I mean, I'll put this on the could side because it's not something that I would necessarily bet's going to happen, but we could see a situation where um, the clock is turned back and Assad, the Assad regime is once again in, in trouble. Now, this time he has the Iranians who are supporting him and propping him up, but um, when it comes to the Iranians, the Israelis are taking an active role against the Iranians. So we'll have to see. It's um, interesting times, and, of course, the U.S. still has probably about a thousand troops in northern Syria, protecting some of the Kurds, and then you have the Turks who want to kill all the Kurds. So it's not one of the more friendly zones. Let's put it that way. No, it's
1: not. So, do you think Russia's withdrawal has anything to do with what's happening in Ukraine?
2: Oh, absolutely. Oh, they're withdrawing because they need they need the missiles, they need yeah. the the planes. They just don't. You know, they're they're pulling down wherever they can because they're you know they scraping the bottom of the barrel barrels, let's speak. In order to get armaments for their for their fight in Ukraine, so right. this is a consequence of of their war in Ukraine. Instead of extending Russian power, obviously it's it's consolidated it or gone the other way. I mean, another example of that is Kazakhstan, which was mostly considered a Soviet a Russian satellite and lived as an independent country, but heavily under the influence of Russia. But they're declaring their independence from Russia at this point because. Their view is very simple, you know. What What are the Russians going to do? Invade Kazakhstan? They can't seem to succeed in Ukraine. They're not ready to start a two front war. So, interesting things are happening.
1: Well, of course, on the financial uh, front, uh, Russia said they would have. There's a movement to put a cap on the the price of oil at sixty dollars a barrel. Russia doesn't want to go along. I so this this gets very complicated.
2: No, absolutely, um, absolutely, but. Um, Again, look, the Russians are are really hurting. They had really expected uh, to really be able to squeeze the Europeans because of the winter and lack of gas. But because winter started off quite mild in in Europe this year, um, actually not much of the world, but the result is being that they haven't been using the same amount of gas supplies. And we're now in December, and the gas reserves of most European countries are still at 100%. Wow, because they've been buying on the market from different places. They've been getting uh, LNG gas from the United States and other places, and so they've managed to maintain their supply of gas. And of course, they've also um, held—you know—they've they've asked people to, to ration the use to some extent and conserve energy and all those sort of things. And it's
1: worked. Yeah,
2: interesting. It simply worked.
1: Mark, I need to take a, just a little break. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratispell Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, among other things creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And you can find out more by visiting the website thefga.org. Coming up, we get a visit with Jim McTagg. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Always a pleasure, Mark.
1: Mark, it's so interesting to see the developments in China right now. It's in some ways parallels what's happening in Iran. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, very much. I mean, again, um, the Chinese government, there was a deal. A deal was, we'll make sure you're prosperous and You have personal freedoms and sense of you know being able to travel and all those sort of things. You just stay out of politics and let us handle politics, and you don't get involved. And that deal was um, sort of destroyed by their COVID-19 policy. In other words, their COVID-19 policy makes the most you know strict things that happen in the United States or anywhere else in the world look like nothing at all. In other words, they've really um, you know they're locked down cities. People can't travel if people are sick, they force them into hospitalizations and not in an exactly what one would say a luxury hospital. It's the understatement. And so people are very, very angry over a very long period of time, and it keeps on going on. And China is is insisting on this COVID zero policy. Now, China has a real problem because they, for reasons that no one quite understands, they refused to buy the vaccines and their own vaccine didn't really work. Yeah. So they have an unvaccinated population um they don't have enough hospital beds to to take care of large numbers of sick people if if it happens um so they're really stuck in other words and of course almost no one has had covid because of the, you know because of the lockdowns over the last 3 years so here you have a a virus that is uh, more contagious than ever uh, in a population that has absolutely no defenses and a country that doesn't have a second line of defense i.e. a good hospital system deal with sick patients
1: you know so, Mark, I have uh, it just occurs to me that, that when they struck that deal and went along with it of course a lot of people were out in the fields with an oxen and uh, with uh, antiquated equipment in the dark ages so to speak now that uh, China has advanced do you think that uh, you know according to uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs people's needs change as they go up the uh, up the hierarchy do you think that's part of the equation
2: I think it's part of the equation uh, but I'm not sure, you know, it's, it's, it's not a, I don't want to take our cultural norms and place them on China. Yeah. I think it's part of the equation without a doubt. Uh, but, you know, again, it's a, it's a trade-off because, again, the Chinese have always been rather ruthless against any sort of demonstration against their political rule. And so people have to make a choice, you know, whether you're going to take the risk like that in a society whose surveillance is, is total. In other words, if we think about the fact that Facebook and Google and all these people know a lot about us and our local governments, you know, because of traffic cams and all these sort of things, in China it's one source. Everything's being fed into the government. Right. And so, you know, that's one of the big problems, and people are afraid. But at some point, if things get bad enough, they say, you know what, I'm willing to risk in order to improve uh, the state of affairs.
1: Well, another, so, another part of the equation here is you have, uh, for example, a- Apple, as I understand it, is getting very aggressive in terms of trying to withdraw from China and, and uh, create their materials in other places. Uh, their sh- economy has been shut down in so many different ways. Uh, it just makes me wonder, perhaps, there's not a little death by a thousand cuts, many self-inflicted here.
2: No, absolutely. There's no question. Look, Apple, Apple's greatest vulnerability as a company has probably been its reliance on China. And so it's slowly backing away from that. But that takes time, obviously. Yeah. Um, but it, it is clearly backing away from that. Uh, other manufacturers, because of what happened during COVID and all the supply chain issues, a lot of people are saying, oh, wait a second, because it's $0.10 cents less to make it in China than it is in Mexico, for the sake of argument. Let's just mm-hmm. make that argument for the moment. Um, then, you know what? I'd rather have it in Mexico where I can get it by truck and I don't have to worry about a supply chain issue in the same way. Or I'll make it in the United States. It'll be twenty percent, twenty cents more, but it'll be right next to my backyard. So those decisions are being made by corporate America, because they learned their lessons during the supply during COVID, which was how fragile the whole international supply chain is. Right. And so therefore, we're making some changes, and that works to the disadvantage of China as well, obviously. So these, th- these things are happening at the same time, and then throw in the real estate bubble that we've talked about before. This overhang of way too many houses being built, with a population that's decreasing. And again, let's go to that last point, which is probably the most important point. Mm-hmm. To some extent, demography is destiny. They have no immigration, and their one-child left, you know, the one-child policy has basically turned into a disaster. Every day, more Chinese retire than enter the workforce. And that's a terrible thing.
1: And they have a social China's security debt program. Supporting. They have some sort of retirement or Social Security program in Oh, China? they do.
2: They have, they have, yes, they do. They have, don't forget the word communist country. Um, they absolutely have a retirement program, but more people, you know, less workers, the harder it is to pay for them. And it's sure. It's the an issue in the United States to so a much lesser degree um, is the less people you have working, the less people are paying into Social Security, and the harder the it is to pay.
1: And just to underscore, I think an important point that you made, there's no, uh, J- uh, Japan has a similar issue. They they just don't have immigration, and therefore they can't supplement the the birth rate with uh, people that are coming in the country to create a new life. Uh, you can in the United States. I wish they'd do it legally, but uh, and they're certainly not doing it in China either.
2: Right. So the United States has always had this tremendous advantage, nation of immigrants, and the fact is that immigrants um, have been the key to American growth over over 200 years, quite frankly. And it's why, don't forget, immigrants help in two ways simultaneously. First of all, they themselves are working hands, and that's important. In an economy that does not have enough working hands, immigrants increase the population, which means you've got to build housing for them, all the sort of things that happen uh, in a growing economy. And lastly, and maybe most important, first-generation immigrants, and this is a worldwide phenomenon, have more kids yeah. than natural-born citizens. Yeah. And it changes by the third generation. You wouldn't start, you wouldn't know the difference. But the first and second generation of immigrants all over the world, wherever it is, they have more kids than, than native-born people. So they increase the population of the country even more so.
1: So Mark, uh, before you leave China, is can you talk about the intensity of the revolt and what's happening? I mean, in other words, do you see it as powerful as the people in r- Iran?
2: I don't think it's as powerful as Iran. Don't forget, they're coming across a, a stronger state they don't have as many years of resentment Mm -hmm. in other words the iranian people have a lot of resentment that's built up over the years you have this religious restrictions that the chinese don't have and COVID restrictions on some levels could seem transitory so i don't think it's as deep i don't think it's as wide and i don't think it has as much chance of succeeding because uh, there is no real leadership uh, at this point it seems to the chinese uh, dissidents and i think the chinese government has it. Somewhat under control, interesting. But it spooked them. Yeah, it's clearly spooked them. If, so,
1: if we haven't. Maybe, we,
2: maybe G won't be the 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 unheralded leader for for as long as he thinks.
1: Yeah. So uh, we haven't. Uh, before I let you go, I do want to get some comments on Ukraine.
2: Okay. So two factors. One is Ukraine has been in its muddy season, um, and that's coming to an end now as the ground begins to freeze. So military actions were somewhat limited in the last couple of weeks because of the mud. The Russians have been attacking the Ukrainian electric grid, and their their view is, well, if we take away their electricity, they're going to surrender, which is obviously, they seem to have learned nothing about the Ukrainian people yeah. um, in the last you know, nine months of war. It's pretty amazing how little they seem to understand the Ukrainian people. And the Ukrainians have been working hard to, to reestablish electricity. Whenever it goes out, they work hard to get it back up, and they seem to It's a difficult game, Um, but um, the expectation is within about a week or two, as the ground hardens, the Ukrainians are going to resume their their offensive, and we'll see where that goes. The Russians are having a really hard time uh, both getting arms, and like we talked about before, they're pulling arms out of every place they can, including Syria, and B, they're having a hard time recruiting people, like getting people who are— they're recruiting people and the people who are recruiting are refusing to fight in many cases.
1: Yeah. I've seen so, reports too that the Russian people are uh, becoming less enchanted with the the whole uh, thing of uh, being in the Ukraine. They they're beginning to, there's there's a noise in the in the communication about uh unhappiness in Russia.
2: Oh, absolutely. So we really I mean it's a good day to celebrate, you know. I won't say, you know, it's not the result of American policy per se, but Mark, you know, it's, it's worked out pretty well, let's put it that way.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah, it is so interesting indeed. Mark Schumann, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. HistoryCentral.com is a multimedia website. I hope you'll check it out. Uh, and uh, it's good for kids of all ages, including you and I. Mark, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob. You as well. Thank you. All right, we're going to have more here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of Murder Mysteries. Great, great reads. His latest is No problem. The Federal Bureau of Investigation met weekly with a large social media platforms to collaborate on moderating content, according to a de- deposition this week from FBI Supervisory Special Agent Evan Chan, Elvis Chan. Now, this follows on, of course, Elon Musk's uh, dropping uh, Twitter information on what's happened. So this kind of coincides with the whole, uh, whole Twitter debacle, Twitter data, I guess we'll call it. Chan, who was one of F- two FBI agents who contacted Facebook ahead of its censoring of Hunter Biden's laptop, warning of potential Russian disinformation operation, said the FBI's Foreign Influence Task Force and the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency officials met weekly with social media weekly met weekly with social media companies to remove specific accounts ahead of the 2020 presidential election, according to his deposition. The deposition was part of a lawsuit filed against the Biden administration for allegedly censoring American speech in the name of misinformation led by Schmidt and Republican Attorney General Jeff Landry of Louisiana. Since filing our lawsuit, we've uncovered troves of discovery that show a massive censorship enterprise, Schmidt said. Now we're deposing top government officials and we're one of the first to get a look under the hood. The information we've uncovered through these depositions has been shocking to say the least. The FBI met weekly with large social media platforms to collaborate on moderating content, according to the deposition this week. The two AGs filed their lawsuit against the Biden administration in May. Discovery was granted in July to allow the Republicans to gather information and documents from the Biden administration and social media companies. Deposition requests were approved in October Dr. Anthony Fauci was deposed on November the 23rd and reportedly claimed not to recall details about his role in helping social media companies censor content about COVID 19. He seems to recall everything else. He actually uh, recalls science by memory, (laughs) but conveniently lost his memory uh, in his deposition. Jan reportedly stated that the meetings were once held quarterly, but increased to the election as the election neared to be headed monthly and then weekly. He also claimed there could be potentially a Russian hack and leak operation shortly before the election. In other words, that's what they were using as an excuse to kind of shelter uh, the public from the information about the laptop. The FBI also allegedly sent a list of social media accounts to remove for posting disinformation and label them as malign foreign influence operations. Can you believe that? They would then follow up the accounts and have them deplatformed, or the post had been removed. It's clear from Tuesday's deposition the FBI has an extremely close role in working to censor freedom of speech, Schmidt said. Stay tuned, he said. Landry said, <clears throat> Americans should be angered that during the 2020 election cycle, federal agencies peddled information that has since been disproven. Thank you, FBI. The case is just one of the many steps we've taken to stand up for American First Amendment rights for our, for our citizens, he continued. No Americans should be censored by the government. Former White House Press Secretary Jim Psaki and former senior COVID-19 advisor Andrew Slavitt are also expected to testify. So, again, as he said, uh, stay tuned. And then Representative Jim Jordan, the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee, joined Breitbart News Washington Bureau Chief Matt Boyle, uh, on a, a show, on a podcast, slamming the latest effort to pass the derided Journalism, Competition, and Preservation Act. JP, JCPA, former uh, uh, Jord- Representative Jordan, has staunchly opposed the JCPA from the start. Other top rep- uh, Republicans who oppose the media bailout include Kevin McCarthy and uh, Minority Whip Steve C- C- uh, Scalise, In the Senate, the bill has been publicly opposed by Senators Blackburn, Rubio, Cotton, Lee, and Hawley. This is big tech, big media, big government, all colluding to limit who gets defined as a journalist and then to limit the information that we, the people, get to see, said Jordan. Look no further than what has been in the news the last 24 hours, which is what big tech, big media, big government did relative to the Hunter Biden story, for goodness sake, he said. The bill uh, would codify the ridiculous things that happened in October of 2020 when they suppressed that story. And I think you can make a credible argument that, in fact, uh, made a difference in the election. And for that, Joe Biden should not be president, uh, said uh, Jordan. This bill is totally wrong. But number one is how they would define what a journalist is and then deciding that you form a cartel to go about the other big tech cartel but also is going to do to get big government involved with big tech and big media and further collusion to censor conservative speech. This is really a shame. It's tentatively scheduled for Wednesday, said Jordan, of a rumored House Judiciary markup on the bill. There will be in the uh, arguments uh, we've been uh, talking here. Again, the New York Times and Washington Post, they'll be happy to get together and form a cartel and go talk with big tech, but the independent journalists out there or smaller startups or conservative outlets, they're concerned about how the whole thing will play out. And Of course, everybody should be concerned about this, a collusion with big tech, with the Democrat Party, and uh, with uh, the mainstream media. My gut tells me, he said, that their plan is to have this marked up and have it out of committee and then throw it into something else. So they'll probably try to pass this bill uh, through uh, attaching it to uh, as an adjointed to some other bill, which, of course, is uh, how things get done, unfortunately, in Washington, D.C. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, that and more, right here in The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. And you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. We have this Jim McTagg, as I mentioned before the break. He's the former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's since retired, moved up to the Lancaster, Pennsylvania area, and he's writing Great Murder Mysteries. There are sequels one to another. There's the first, Follow the Leader. His second book, Shake the Money Tree. And third is, No Problem. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
3: Oh, it's a pleasure, Bob. Speaking of crime, the crime of the century is the uh, government cover up of Hunter Biden's laptop and and uh it's amazing that the um the deep state i mean there's the smoking gun that the, the deep state is real and uh let me remind your listeners that I'm not a Trump fan i really despise the guy uh however <laughs> uh, the high crimes and misdemeanors uh, by the FBI against this guy It, it, it deserve uh, investigation after investigation, and we probably need a an overhaul of that entire agency. And um, let me also add that I have relatives and friends that are FBI agents, and and they're they're wonderful people. You can't you can't denounce the whole agency because of a corruption by uh, people at the top.
1: Yeah, I, but, uh, you know, it, it goes way beyond the Hunter ba- Biden laptop, doesn't it? I mean, we take a look at the prosecution, uh, the Department of Justice, and ignoring, I, I should say, you know, they, they're arresting people at their homes for singing hymns at Planned Parenthood <laughs> locations, and they're totally ignoring this stuff of what's happening with Biden. With, uh, now, apparently there's there's been this uh, investigation into uh, Hunter Biden's taxes, that's been going on in the state of Delaware nothing's happened with that nothing's been released the uh, dual system of justice is unbelievable
3: oh it's um you know what got me started today was Elvis Chan FBI agent who there's a story in in the New York Post which should get a Pulitzer prize mm-hmm. for pursuing the Hunter Biden laptop story i i, I mean you had you had uh Clapper and Brennan, two former CIA chiefs and and uh, 48 supposedly uh, expert spies, publish a letter which was printed by The New York Times, The Washington Post, the whole captive liberal press saying that the laptop story was Russian disinformation. I mean, they made that up, uh, but they printed that story and there's a wonderful editorial in in the uh, wall street journal today about how that letter gave uh, the liberal press an excuse not to pursue the story to dismiss it out of hand and 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 that there should also be an investigation of of the composition of that letter i i agree i mean uh, what's wonderful about this story is that we have smoking guns you know there's proof I mean, there's testimony from FBI agent Elvis Chan in a lawsuit uh, uh, brought by the uh, Tea Party Foundation accusing Twitter under its old management of accepting uh, gifts in kind yeah. from the Democratic Party. I mean, he he testifies that he indeed went to Twitter and, and essentially gave them buckets of misinformation. And what it did was, I mean, he had a... Uh, co-conspirator at Twitter a guy named James Baker who had worked for the Biden administration and in the FBI and I can imagine the underlings at Twitter Twitter you know the the tech guys you know whose whole universe is uh, programming and and have no real experience in in Mm Washington mm-hmm uh swallowed this hook line and sinker because oh you know the fbi is coming to us and tell telling us it's so so it must be true so anyway uh, but to see this unravel is just very disturbing <laughs> and uh i don't think i think trump cost himself the election but i think the margin the the election would have been much much closer if the um laptop story hadn't been squelched
1: yeah well by the they, deep state. you know I, my opinion Jim so I, I, I won't uh, my opinion is the election was stolen and they did it through these uh, through these machines. Uh, the whole thing that the counting stopped at eleven o'clock at night, and they put in new algorithms, and voila, Biden was ahead. It was it's been such a joke. He's campaigning from his basement. I mean, the, the evidence is overwhelming. The election was stolen. I, I mean, I totally believe well, that.
3: Well, see, I disagree because I don't think you have a smoking gun with the uh, vote counting, and I, you know, I, I've covered dozens and dozens of elections, local, uh, statewide, national, and I've seen people try to rig districts. And and it's almost impossible to rig the vote in in a district without getting caught because there are too many big mouths and it's too complex. So to, to rig a nationwide election, I don't see the evidence. However, in the case of the Hunter Biden laptop, Evidence is raining down from the sky. It's just, uh, and it's it's really a wedge in the door, to to really expose how captive the federal the bureaucracy is. It's a captive of the Democratic Party. It's a tool of the Democratic Party, and it's inimical to the uh, democracy. And, you know, and our personal freedoms. I mean, it's they're engaging in official censorship.
1: Uh, well, not only that, but they're committing crimes. In my opinion, I mean, the whole to tamper with elections like that is a federal crime. And uh, my hope is that justice will be done. We end up leveling the playing field on how justice is done here in the United States. And these people that signed the letter, I, I would love to see each and every one of them have to come up and testify and tell the, tell us the evidence they had to sign that letter that, uh, yeah. that this was Russian disinformation. It's, just shocking. Uh, but
3: the, the lefties are still trying to cover it up. I mean, uh, where's Waldo? You know, those books where they have a character Waldo in a, in a crowd of cartoon characters, and you have to pick him out. Yeah. Well, if you go through the newspapers uh, for the past week, the, uh, the Washington Post, the New York Times, uh, you know, the LA Times, you can't find a serious Hunter Biden laptop story. There's a piece in in the uh, New York Times that makes light of it. That makes it like a, uh, some kind of comical situation that people on the, on the right and the Hunter Carlson's of the world are trying to turn into uh, something bigger than it is. And it's, it's just, I mean, the reporter is either hopefully naive or he's in the bucket too. And he's, you know, he's, being his stories are being written by somebody in the administration apparently you, you know it's just very disturbing that we don't have the uh, clinically detached press that we used to have that you know pursued the truth and the facts no matter where they led. those days are gone
1: they certainly are i mean it's uh, to call them the yeah. press uh, I mean, I wish it were. I wish we had people who uh, w- were reporting the truth. But unfortunately, we ha- we end up with this kind of a echo chamber where the information is circulated among conservatives. Let's say, and, they, and the websites that they go to, they're talking to each other, as is the liberals. They're talking to each other too. I mean, it, it's uh, and the consequence is the information, the real information, the real news. And just take this. And how about what happened in Arizona? I mean, Katie Hobbs is being the referee as well as the candidate. And uh, <laughs> you just can't make this stuff up about everything that happened in Arizona. So, so I, I haven't followed the
3: Arizona race that closely. I'm sorry, I, I've always written. Yeah. Arizona off as kind of a, one of the, you know, wacky places. So, yeah. um, but the, um, I, I'm just, I just think that, you know, we need a, a smaller streamlined government you know the, the people who had it right were actually Clinton and Gore, who tried to mo- modernize the federal government and replace a lot of workers with computers. And they couldn't do it because the um, the procurement system is so corrupt. They couldn't get good machinery, and the unions are so strong. They they did shrink government, but they couldn't do, do it that radically. And then they, after the Iraq War, uh, the government wanted to help displace. Veterans, so it made it easy for them to get into the bureaucracy, and so they enlarged the federal government. You know, it was a, a noble cause to help help veterans, but in the long run, it's a disservice to uh, to America. We need a smaller, uh, better-run uh, government, and uh, we can del- if You know, if Amazon can deliver packages all over the, the world uh, using computers and robotics, uh, you know, we should we should be able to. To fix the federal government, so we need fewer
1: bureaucrats to deliver services. Yeah, for your lips to God's ear again, Jim Mm McTagg, former Barron's Washington bureau chief, his latest book, No Problem. Check it out, Jim McTagg, James McTagg. I'm sure is how it's uh, featured. Uh, uh, M C capital T A G U E. Jim, appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you'll join us tomorrow. We've got great guests, including Kathleen Pasadomo, the Senate of the Florida, the President of the uh, Florida Senate. Uh, we'll also visit with Boo Mortensen. We'll find out what's new with Boo. And Seton Motley, the founder and president of a less government, will be joining us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.